Hi, you're listening to the New Space India podcast, a bi-weekly talk show that exclusively brings insights from the Indian space activities ecosystem. I'm your host Narayan, the co-founder of India's first space-focused think tank, Spaceport Sarabhai. Guests on the New Space India podcast help you understand space activities related macro and micro trends within India in all aspects including space history, local industry, space science, technology evolution, law and policy, art and more. The New Space India podcast is supported by Dassault Systems, a global leader in providing businesses and people with collaborative virtual environments to enable sustainable innovations. Dassault Systems Solutions supports startups, small and medium scale enterprises and original equipment manufacturers in developing disruptive solutions for space launchers and satellites. Hi and welcome to yet another episode of the New Space India podcast. This happens to be the 99th episode of the New Space India podcast and I'm happy that I have been able to get to the 99th episode and hope to keep up. Today we have a very interesting guest Kati from Centrum Technologies and he is the president of the space business unit there. I am really keen on talking to him on many aspects because he's been in the space industry for three decades both first with Isro and then in the industry. So thank you so much sir for taking the time to talking to me and I look forward to having a very nice conversation with you. Thank you so much and it's a privilege for me also to be a part of this wonderful series of podcast that you have been working on. Thank you. Before we begin about uh, talking about Centum Technologies and so on, let's talk a little bit about your own background with respect to space and how you started your career and the days in which you started your career how the country was how the institutions were with isro and other industries around yes if you look at my background i come from a, a very small town in karnataka northern part of karnataka and having completed my engineering in rec suratkal those days isro and space technology space related job was a very dream job for everyone firstly because the technology itself was very exciting for the people it was in a limited way the exposure was not as it is today and we also knew that is the job which attracts the best of the talent from the, across the country and we wanted to be it was a calibration for us as to where we stand and hence the job was important and looking at the buses of these isro centers going around the bangalore city it was also another exciting thing that one oh i wish i, I am a part of this great organization that's what it was and that was there in most of the key engineering graduates of premier institutes of the country and karnataka was no no excuse so we were all wanting to be there and then we had to go through two different types of interviews those days one as the centralized recruitment which was meant for open positions across india which means different centers of isro in india and there was also center specific recruitment and uh, i was lucky that i got through the center specific which meant i would be in bangalore and then that's how my journey began in 1990 and those were the days you may recall india did not have any communication satellite of their own in the sense that whatever four numbers of satellites we had contracted for aerospace prior to that we had about two of them successful out of the four 
So uh, that was the only history. And I think a good number of scientists had spent about three to four years in US learning the technologies of geocommunication satellites. And then they had come back. And then India and ISRO had embarked upon inside two series of indigenous communication satellites. And to my luck, I was put in inside series of communication satellite system integration when I joined ISRO and then started the journey. Because once you are in, in, in a system integration, there are only three divisions which give you knowledge of entire satellite technology. One, if you are in program management, you will get to know all the people, all the associated designers and the subsystems. If you are in quality assurance, so would be the case. And the third and the most important is if you are in a system integration, every subsystem designer and the subsystems would land up in your clean room and then you would get to know each one of them and then integrate, interface, all of that you would do. And then you have a system overview of how a communication satellite works. And since many of the senior scientists who had joined then were also building these kind of satellites for the first time, designing these satellites for the first time, we did go through an engineering thermal and then the flight model. And that's how the journey began. And I still relish those days. Those 10 years of what I spent inside have made me what I am today outside of ISRO. So overall, it has been an exciting journey. Oh, thank you so much. That's a very interesting background at that point of time. Now, when you talk about ISRO at that point of time and then the industry at that point of time, since you were inducted into ISRO at the beginning and you were overseeing a lot of the efforts internally, what was the industry like, the local industry like at that point of time? How mature were the local industries? How much of interfacing you had to do sitting inside of ISRO with them? And then eventually, what made the case for you to say that I'm going to step into the industry? If you look at the 90s, when I said just the satellite technologies in communication had begun, we had uh, to our credit about three to four remote sensing satellite by then. There was no industry, barring few of the launch vehicle related industries who were doing a large scale mechanical systems and engines and things like that. But if you look at it from a satellite side and an electronics perspective, from a pin to a satellite, to a board, to a module, to a subsystem, everything was done inside ISRO. So there was nothing like an industry. The only industry was where ISRO would go and buy components from different parts of the world. Of course, there were limited number of even distributors within India, but most of them OEMs were there. But for the components, there was nothing like an industry where ISRO was buying. So from a non-existent industry, it took almost 10 more years I could see Till 2000, the situation was not dif any different. But I think with the clear successes in those 90 to 2000, where we had about three to four communication satellites and few of the remote sensing satellites, the overall pressure to deal with multiple missions per year, because in 90s, you used to have one or two missions per year. But then when slowly it started progressing to about three to four missions per year, then the pressure started as to, is there a need for us to do this? This is a repeatable subsystem. Should we not look at it from a manufacturing point of view? But while the thought was correct from the program and the schedule point of view, the, in the scientist's mind, it was always a case that, no, I don't think any industry would be ready to do this because this is quite complex, quite the reliability requirements are quite high. Industry would not be able to do it. The qualification or the overall knowledge 
of the team members within the industry can't be as much as what it is inside isro so i think there were multiple apprehensions which made them really difficult to believe that it is very difficult to go to industry so i think in 2000 when overall mission plan number of missions per year or the annual five year planning of isro started then there was there were need of some satellites which had for example the radar imaging satellites had one subsystem in 500 numbers and another subsystem in 300 numbers till then no doubt the subsystems or the lrus whatever you call were made inside isro but they were all one number two number at the most main redundant dual redundant things like that so three four number was maximum so suddenly in these large scale radar imaging satellites when the number of subsystems required were to the tune of hundreds then they realized that you know, i think this is not possible to be done in industry in the time without industry and definitely not with the time frame that they were looking for so i think that is where i clearly remember isro organized a seminar in hotel leela next to isro in the old airport road in bangalore asking for industries to participate and that is when some of the industries participated and expressed their views so till then till 2000 i think there was no industry as far as satellite was concerned launch vehicle i know it was a much better situation there were few industries though they were large scale industries so that's how the story unfolded as far as industrialization concerned then of course 2000 to another 10 15 years industry for isro meant someone who does what isro wanted them to do meaning i would give you my design i will give you my product drawings you build to those drawings you print to those drawings that's how and even till today majority of the industries barring few operate in that mode itself so few of the industries who have their own design engineering capabilities who have their own ambitions to grow in a vertically upwards decided to put their designs put the analysis team and then started going back to isro and saying we can do this we will duplicate your what you have systems and tools and softwares what you have inside isro and we would be able to do those kind of work and then uh, some centers welcomed it some centers have still not openly welcomed it but then reluctantly trying to get that done some centers are still not open so i think that's how the situation is even till today and thank you so much again in explaining that but one thing that i wanted you to really address is the motivation itself part of it the last part of the question which you are probably pretty well settled inside of isro as an engineer and obviously it brings a lot of respect working in an institution like isro what is your motivation to say that look i am going to quit this comfortable position inside such a government agency to then say i want to head to try to see what happens in the industry yes so you are combining two aspects in this question which is why did you have to leave isro when you were happily enjoying the technical aspects of what you were doing to go to an industry which was not ready and then what made you do that if that's the question i would answer it in 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 couple of ways one is i think within isro one would get to integrate satellites one would get to design satellite subsystems etc so that was a good thing and when you start getting into deeper into those teams somewhere when some kind of a repetitivity starts or your your wanting to do the speed versus can do versus what is enabled to do they start differing 
or there is a mismatch in these speeds, then you start thinking, oh, and should I do that and encourage my own thoughts and then get out to the industry and do something? I think that is the thought process which will start. But you can imagine way back in 2000, there was not as much as open opportunities, including the salaries inside ISRO were more than what other industries were offering because this was the situation was not as what it is today. So it was very difficult. But only thing that motivated us is that we have spent about 10 years, especially in my case, on high technology areas in something which is niche, something which is very high end for the country in terms of science and technology and the technologies, materials, etc. So if you have been able to do that and if you have the right technical experience and good knowledge, I think you can do anything outside. Even if you fail in one attempt, you would be able to go back to another opportunity and then work on it. I think that something what those 10 years gave you in terms of experience and in terms of width, in terms of deep knowledge, that's something which encouraged someone like me to get out and get into the industry. Only to find that what we were dealing with crores as a minimum least count, suddenly you get into an industry and you need to talk about even a rupee or hundreds of rupees in terms of making yourself cost competitive. So while that was a very big surprise from what we would have otherwise seen as third or a fourth decimal inside ISRO to a prominent number outside ISRO, while that was really challenging for a few months, but I think once you understood that you can always polish your things, make yourself more productive, make yourself more competitive. And the only way to do it is to look at it in terms of time, look at it in terms of money. Then the appreciation for those kind of activities began. And I think that's how and where the industry has to be and is expected to be more efficient and faster. So that's one aspect. Another aspect of what made me leave ISRO was not necessarily because I was getting into space. I didn't get out of ISRO to get into an industry from a space perspective. I got into an industry which just dealt with relatively similar technologies. That's all. So then in the industry also, which is with outside of ISRO, industries were trying to do. And then for Centum especially, we were trying to see how to get out of single tree, single customer called telecom to get into multidisciplinary ones and then we were trying to de-risk. And then after I joined Centum, similar, almost on the similar timelines, Centum, we approached ISRO being in Bangalore and asked for ourselves for qualification. Meanwhile, ISRO, like I said, was also looking for industries only then because of the radar imaging satellite kind of requirements. So I think the timings matched perfectly. So I got out of ISRO and then immediately could get into ISRO kind of activities. That was not by design, but by some kind of a coincidence. Great. It's very interesting to see also different people with different motivations, obviously, to see, to contribute in one form or the other in the, in their own development and in the development of the sector in one form or the other. But then you mentioned briefly about Centum's interest in diversifying its customer base from telecom to the others. So space... I guess at that point of time, I'm not sure how much of the volume in business 
was available unlike telecom or others because telecom probably underwent the liberalization and opening up to the private sector and space is still to this day in some form run by the government in one form or the other what is the drive to say that okay space could be an area where industry can engage or can find this as a customer given that volume perhaps was not the driver there perhaps more of technology and the ability to engage with building high technology yes but not volume so from a business sense given the possible lack of volume what is the logic in engaging good question and i think the situation though has not changed significantly but if you have to look at it from the industry perspective the mandate was very clear if you have to be a industry contributing to space you cannot be an industry contributing only to a space which means if you are 100% space contributor it was extremely difficult it was and it is because the volumes don't justify the annuity business doesn't justify the return on investments don't justify unless you you get into a i don't know so i'm confidently telling unless you get into building hundreds of satellites in in leocom kind of a situation but that is not the case so it is extremely risky to be in only one sector called space and to be that industry we were able to continue to i'm now talking about 2000 when we decided to get into space we decided that we would get into space as a part of overall perspective we knew defense is a much bigger pie we knew industrial and telecom continues to be a bigger pie since we were extremely exposed only to one market called telecom one customer called c dot one geography called india which is extremely risky in 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 any business parlance so we decided that we should diversify and the next step that we would take was not to transform ourselves from a telecom company to a space company it was just that we had certain infrastructure certain bent of mind certain passion for being in high reliability electronic sector which drove us towards space and we were very clear that it would be a part of our business it is not going to be a full part of our business so even till today if you look at it space happens to be about 10 12 15% of our business only so that's our so my advice or my in my opinion remains strong that you can be in space happily if you are not only in space that's the message right that's a that's actually a really wise advice i suppose and i think there's a lot of insight in that one sentence for sure when you approach isro at that point of time what was the let's say the mood inside of people who are wanting to approach isro as an industry partner how does then isro qualify that you are a right industry partner or if you have a certain requirement and so on because i'm not sure if there is a, an extremely formal process because i believe that maybe even today hundreds of companies want to get involved with isro in one form or the other that means for them it's also then government business and government as a customer what makes it credible over one industry or the other or what is the process and how can somebody then say we have a legitimate business here and we should be encouraging them inside of an organization like isro i think it was not a very structured plan to go to industry and you know go through the process of industrialization as far as isro is concerned this is my assessment but i think like i said thanks to the pressures coming out of certain programs that they were embarking upon they had no choice but to look at someone outside of their system who could do that and that was the industry and that 
pull was also something which is program specific see another important aspect to note is that industry expects however small or big it is some kind of an annuity business lumpy businesses are very nice suddenly you get a opportunity to execute a business on one program for those duration when you are executing it it's all nice very creamy business but the moment that program ends what next that's the most dangerous situation for any industry so industry would look for annuity business and when isro wanted to go to the industry there were not many big things that they could offer to industry because of annuity because there were not so many programs whereas subsequently i think some kind of a some phase of standardization of some bus system started where if not in large numbers still relatively they could assure five satellite business or a six satellite business for example when somewhere down the line in early 2005 2010 when the navigational satellites were getting good and there was a new need for industry they knew they are going to talk about eight nine ten satellites so that was the time where something could be visualized or imagined or business planned for few satellites but for them not more than four five satellite programs whereas the situation in rocket electronics is different the moment pslv started gaining its popularity they knew their missions would be defined and rocket being a standard and the, the generally the subsystems don't change the launcher team within isro started going to the industry for productionization of the avionics of the launchers so i think that was a little more streamlined one whereas the satellite fraternity could not and even till today do not are not in a position to plan annuity business for industry now of course subsequent to 2020 may when op- opening of the space sector happened the scenario has totally changed but i am now talking about phases between 2000 where industrialization just was thought of to 2020 where they had their own programs and things which they were planning within these 20 years we could see different phases but still the point remains that it has not been a very totally dependable 100% dependable business at all for someone who is serious in the business and someone who would like to be of some some significant size so one of the follow up questions here is how has your experience of working with space and isro at sendum has it at all contributed to your work in defense and telecom for example because you are obviously dealing with very high technology high quality performance being really cutting edge and so on and is there internal knowledge transfer that can be useful for development of products in defense and telecom and has that translated very well inside of the organization very good point on this i would explain it in two perspectives one is we were lucky that from a telecom we straight away went up there in space and got ourselves qualified and started doing business so if you see today 2002 onwards every pslv every gslv every satellite beat scientific telecom navigational or earth observation every mission of isro we have about anywhere from 300 to as high as 900 module subsystems in in each of those missions but the point i would like to say is that when you got yourself qualified to space standards which was a rigorous 2000 to 2001 end almost about 18 to 20 months of rigorous qualification the first qualification which incidentally happened for microelectronic modules and then subsequently we got qualified for well high end subsystems and systems and all of that 
So you qualify your processes, you qualify your people, you qualify your documentation, you qualify your design. So all of that happened and then only increased over the last two decades. But we were lucky that we went from telecom to space, which means we were able to set ourselves internally the highest standards in terms of managing the high reliability, high technology business. So when we were moving in the space domain, coming to a little down to defense was not a difficult task. Everyone who wanted to qualify us for defense found it very easy because, oh, you have been complying to space standards. I think mine is a little a shade lesser uh, or mine is much lesser than what you are qualified to. So I don't see any qualification. And the deliveries to ISRO also gave us some kind of uh, comfort to the customers of defense that if you have been able to deliver to such critical programs, I'm sure you will be able to do it for my platforms. So that was the plus point of being in space early in the days and then spreading ourselves to defense. And then we have been also using those high reliability sectors in some cases to few areas of automotive, which we don't continue to do, but definitely few areas of medical. So today what we do, we have set that culture. We have picked up that high technology, high reliability, medium volume. That is something which is a common thread that binds all the market segments we as Centum are in. So, which means you, you set your DNA with space standards and try and operate around them, though you have to cater to different customers' requirements. But you, your DNA has got high reliability, high technology, cost conscious. All of that will become natural. That is the plus point. The minus point is when you, you establish a culture where your people are used to looking at the inspections at 20x, 100x kind of things. And then they are very exposed to do it very carefully, do it very slowly, do it a thing. And then you are exposed to requirements where you have to do it faster because you are not, not expected to inspect at 200x or you are supposed to deliver things much faster, things which are much more cost competitive, all of that. This becomes a little of a disadvantage. But I think we have tried to judiciously use these two strengths and then try to modify such that we don't lose the basic foundation of high reliability, high technology concept, but yet we would also be able to cater to the market-specific requirements of defense because within defense, the airborne defense requirements are different. The tank electronics goes through different qualification. The radars on ground would go to different. Radars airborne would go through different. So I think defense is a much wider opportunity, much wider scope for exhibiting your quality consciousness. But I think we have been judiciously using. But otherwise, no, if you use the same manpower, which is expensive, and if you use the same methodologies, which was meant for space to all others, it would be an overkill at times. But I think you need to be conscious and then manage them both because both are meant for in their own way. But one of the reasons why we had to exit the automotive was automotive demands the reliability requirements of a space. But when it comes to price points, there's no comparison. They would want much, much more cost competitiveness. So I think that's the reason, thanks to these contradicting requirements, we did not pursue our journey in automotive for long. I guess I answered your question of how it's good to be in space and then migrate to other areas, but how sometimes it becomes a little bit of a disadvantage. Oh yeah, absolutely. That is definitely very interesting from that standpoint of price points and quality and all of these things. So the other aspect of all of this is because the way 
the industry has been shaped in india by isro as as you said the people who support production of certain equipment and subsystems and so on i wanted to ask you your views on firstly from your perspective do you have engagement going on with let's say non isro but non indian customers because the way the engagement structure has been with isro does it allow you to do this very well or in which areas do you think you can then allow the other is then i guess when isro engages with industry it then engages in its programs and one of the aspects of this is that if you then are engaged to manufacture something and you're not engaged in actually designing something then you lose a lot of control on the ip itself and that means that you lose control of the ability to market and sell that product to customers all around the world so what are your views on this and how this has trickled down to the current way the industry functions in india great i think i would split you into two one is what is your experience of trying to use the isro's learnings and the business track to something or some customers which are non isro non india that is one question and the second question the second part what i would answer is that has it enabled you to move up the value chain can i take it that way before i answer this question yeah absolutely okay the first one is that till today even today we are 80% export so our while we are in high reliability high technology medium volume game as our dna in centum our outlook has also been a global that of a global company we have been exporting outside of india since 1997 and even today we export about generally about 80% of our revenue comes from outside of india so having said that it was very natural for us to think can we do that in space as well so when i say 80% it was not in space but when we started looking at it if we have been successfully shipping our products either manufacturing or a part of a design manufacturing combination can we do that in space as well when we looked at that since i think 2005 6 onwards i have been because i have been here for last 22 years i have been trying to trying to sell our capabilities and the strengths and the credentials to the space space customers outside of india the experience has been twofold one i think they would look at the credentials of what you have done for isro what methodologies you have followed what is the difference between an isro standard a jaxa standard an isa standard and a nasa standard all of that assessment they will understand and i think in having done a serious and a good job we have been able to pass those phases very well they also come and audit and then they are genuinely impressed with the infrastructure the people the passion and the credentials all of that so the phase 2 also we would pass but i must tell you that exporting space business i mean in doing an export in space business has been absolutely a nightmare because it has not begun everybody is just ready i have approved you but let me wait for a proper opportunity why because most of the space business is still parochial and each one is very comfortable each of the space customer in getting his things from somewhere within peripheral of his country or his place if you look at it from european space customers would be very happy to get it not only from europe but if a french customer would be happy to get it from france not even from italy so it has been extremely parochial and another to add to that there has there was not a price pressure 
Firstly, they all of them have had their own industry bases. They are well established. Next, they are next to their company, and they have been quite comfortable. And they themselves, thanks to low volumes, have not been able to load those industries to the fullest capacity. And there has not been a price pressure. So all of these were making it almost impossible for someone like a company in India to export space business. Could be space hardware, space design, whatever it could be, to a place in US or Europe or something like that. And I have been personally trying my level best, making hundreds of visits, thousands of presentations, tens of audits, and going through all of that, but still waiting for a right opportunity. This is where we clearly, in, in forums in India, we expressed that defense offset was a great boon for a few years, and then that's what pulled or brought the global defense industries to India because there was some amount of a compulsion. And in space, there was no such compulsion. And hence, there was a good feel. Yeah, I think you are a good Indian space, credible Indian industry. But I think let me wait for a right opportunity when I'm overflown, my industry is overflown or there is a price pressure. I think this has been the journey. So it has not been easy at all and I have not clicked yet. Having said that, when the slowly the price pressures have begun, there is a thinking going on, especially OneWebs and, and Telesats on, or, or all of this. Again, Starlink is not an ex- example because I think most of it is what I have heard is gets done within. There's no huge outside free base for that program. But I think OneWeb and Telesat kind of forthcoming Telesat kind of programs, there is a good thinking, advanced planning that is happening as to go globally and get hold of good industries across the globe and then try and work with them. But still, I haven't seen a success. When people uh, very happily and easily tell, oh, you have done this for me, this will have a very big global opportunity, I give a smile and then say, not really. Because that has been not the case for the last 10 years. So this is our, our experience uh, as far as exporting space is concerned. Hopefully, with the opening up of economy, with smaller satellites coming into play, with all of that, I think the situation should change. And we should be able to do. That is one. Secondly, how did this journey allow us to to move vertically up the value chain and be ready? Because if you look at it again, ISRO would get from its industry what it wanted. Nobody would give a build to specification, a standard product of a star sensor or an earth sensor, AOCS package or a data handling package or a solid state recorder. No, sir. everything was customized and the industry was at the most executing these programs to ISRO in a turnkey mode at the most. But the industry business in outside of India, whether it is in Europe or US, wherever I have been seeing, they look at the standard products coming out of these industries and then they buy. And there was not such a standard product from any industry in India. So when you would go and try to buy, someone who is interested in buying would say, yeah, you make this CS or a solid state recorder or whatever subsystem or an earth sensor. A, can you sell what you have been making? The answer is not really straightforward because I, I made it for ISRO. So I have to ask ISRO. That was one. Second, do you have a standard product of your own which you can sell it to me? Answer was no. There were two counts on which we were not able to readily sell because there was no standard product coming from any industry in India in space. Then slowly the situation has changed and now the expectation is not only a standard product. They don't care about the standard product. 
give me a standard satellite which does this function and I don't care what you do inside the subsystems. So that's the demand. So there has been a natural change of direction from expecting a subsystems from industry to expecting a small platform with a meaningful deliverables. That's something which, which means one tree like Centum or any industry for that matter who is wanting to progress faster should have a capability to design products to based on mission requirements. B should have credentials of all the processes, materials, procurements, export licensing, all of that. C would have should have the complete system overview to give what the platform people would demand. I think that has been the change, and that is something which is which is putting serious industries uh, with some amount of work to do before they claim that, yeah, if I could do subsystem for ISRO, now I can do a small satellite for anybody. I think this opening up of the space economy has been a step change, which we hope would have been a smoother change. But never mind, we need to take our own time, though small, to get ready for those deliverables. I think these are the changes that we have been seeing in the last two to three years as far as industry readiness for addressing global space requirements are concerned. Yeah, interesting overall to to hear that from a perspective of a company that's been around for quite a long time. And as a part to that question, I would love to have your thoughts on going up further up in the value chain, which is actually becoming a full satellite integrator and a satellite operator at the end. Do you think the ecosystem in India, including ISRO and the government sources, or even including, let's say, the defense and so on, are today ready to encourage an industry or the industry in general or industry players to independently become operators themselves and instead of supplying simply subsystems or even supplying only satellites, would then start supplying services. How ready is the system today for such developments? For someone who exactly asked this question, and I think there are many who are asking this question now as far as end users are concerned, they get two different extreme perspectives. One leftmost, which is an aggressive Indian industry responding, selling, I will do everything. I am ready. I'll give you six satellites next 18 months. I'll give you upstream satellite. I'll get the data. I'll process it. I have my own earth station. Now you will get the data what you want. Is a one aggressively on the left side answering you. The other industry, which is extreme right, which is, you know, these are all very complex. It will take about three years to realize a first satellite. Then subsequently, we need about another two, one or two years to give you multiple satellites. Is the traditional conservative answer that can come from an industry. But I think the reality is somewhere in between. While the left is not really true, if you look at it from the credentials of the traditional space business is concerned. But if you stick to the right, which is conservative approach, you're not going to improve, you're not going to be efficient, you're not going to be existent in, in, in today's demanding world. So I think there is a need from moving from right towards the left, which means from a conservative thought to some amount of disruptive thinking, disruptive ways of doing business, disruptive ways of realizing these missions, disruptive ways of improving existing technologies and realizing these services, that is something which is needed. So I think the left is not true, right is not relevant. I think we need to move towards somewhere in between and hit that. 
having said it having answered in a theoretical manner i would say the answer that there is no ready made system now of course some smaller satellites and their deliverables which have been which have been heard or seen are of smaller nature the overall bigger operational requirements have not yet been met so it would be too premature to say we are ready it would be safe to say we are not but then how long does it take to to be here i my my personal guess would be anywhere from 2 to 3 years is what it would take to to experiment for the industries to try and fail try and succeed try and show repeatability try and show improvement all of that it would take that kind of a time is what i guess yeah it's very a realistic approach to all of this and i guess it's also a question of how ready people are even within the system to take such a bold step at the end of the day and how this could be done uh, we've seen quite a lot of interest from a lot of young people starting uh, space companies a lot of them also starting space companies right out of university and so on probably something that was unimaginable even 15 years ago let's say but it has become a kind of a phenomena and it seems to have gathered a lot of investor interest a lot of inv- interest from even parts of in space or isro or others to encourage these kinds of ventures because they are not let's say technically dependent on isro as a customer in one form or the other obviously it is very still very early days because not a lot of these groups have really proven that they have products that work in space or customers who are willing to sustain demand for their products or services and so on what do you, how do you see this group of let's say the new space actors and is an ecosystem like india ready to have these sorts of players who are attempting to build something which is extremely difficult and at the same time without having government as a customer so uh, for me i think from my standpoint it is almost impossible to sustain in the space business anywhere around the world without the government as a customer at this point of time. and uh, yeah it would be really interesting to know what your thoughts are around this this is a question which i ponder over every morning because that's something which is very hot in the sense that good number of claims good number of youngsters good number of young industries are coming up and trying to really do something in in terms of disruptive thinking disruptive concepts all of that but like you rightly said this is still a work in progress perhaps in an initial phase where nothing is proven reliability is still a next phase so having seen that the plus point is that this is challenging the status quo which is the biggest advantage of this which means if you are in a status quo thinking in a traditional way that it would take i have to buy those expensive components i have cannot experiment it's too risky to experiment all of that if you think with on those rigid thoughts then i think this is a most welcome move having said that this is something where we have no choice but to go through for the next few quarters or 2 3 4 years to see some successes coming out some failures coming out some learnings coming out some statistics start getting generated all of that and i think only then certain directions can be defined so having said that it's too risky to be only in space only few young companies can afford to take that risk because they are in a smaller scale they are answerable to nobody beyond a point whereas the traditional players would have to look at it from a much more conscious approach 
but without this is necessary but not sufficient what is necessary is a disruptive thinking disruptive technology use of non space technology to be brought into space and try it out all of that is necessary but it is not sufficient till it is proven that a percentage of it is successfully transformed into an operational activity so that is something so we have no choice but to allow this to to go for some time before we we can conclude that you know i think what is thought of as a disruptive is not really producing results in space because space continues to be harsh or we can say there are good amount of component engineering good amount of design engineering good amount of cad good amount of processes which have changed the whole without really compromising on the quality and the reliability we can achieve things at a much faster rate much cheaper rate all of that is i think is a thing to watch very curiously very eagerly i would say let's say i would want you to think a little bit on how the future would occur from your lens and from your experience let's take a a future of a short term which is 5 to 10 years and then let's look at a future which is let's say 20 to 25 years longer term can you briefly describe how you see it through your lens having seen this for quite some time now on how let's say the industry would evolve how isro would shape how maybe other things would happen in the sector in one form or the other i think if you look at it from india perspective and indian industry what was a totally isro centric scenario i think people have started the especially the youngsters have started a non isro centric scenario which is a good thing which means they would be able to think besides isro and out without isro kind of a scenario some traditional companies such as ours would not still let go oh this is what we have been doing will it so easily work so we would continue to be in a, in a dilemma for some more time little more though some more time so having having seen these two coexisting all the time what i would start seeing is some ventures in people are talking about reusable rockets or space tourism and this is across globe now i am talking all of this also i think start taking some shape whether they would ultimately be successful or they would be they would be dropped off after serious consideration is only time can tell but i think the kind of opportunities that one is able to think using space as the base for developing the economy in multifold ways i think that would continue to only increase and in- increase in the short and medium term but in the process we would also be creating things like debris and collisions and all of that would also start popping up because it's like similar situation on a bangalore traffic while the number of bikes are more sales are good number of cars are more economy is booming all of that is good but you will see the mess on the tra- on, on the road so i think we would also try and see the ill effects of these experimentation in the medium to long term so unless we continue to look at it from a holistic perspective that why i do this let me weigh the cons of it as to i gain something out of this 10 satellites but i would also lose something because i would be creating debris that co thinking if it is not done then i think we would not be doing right for our next and next generations but uh, these are the days of experimentation we should continue and downstream is something which is good because simply because 
with one satellite, if you can think of using the data in multiple ways, which it's expected to be multiple times bigger than the upstream business, I think those are the best ways to think. Don't create too many things upstream, but at the same time, minimize the upstream and maximize the downstream. Something of those applications are most welcome because it doesn't draw any resources. It doesn't, it's asset light. It can be thought of in a much faster way. There is no need of huge qualification and things like that. The gestation times are quite low. All of that, I think those advantages can be put to use. And if you can focus more on downstream, multiple applications, that would be the way to go without harming the ecosystem in space, but still utilizing those applications to reach wider footprint on Earth. I think that's the way to go is what I feel. Great. I think these are fascinating insights for sure. And it's really interesting. I also think that you have a very open mind to to review everything more transparently and also, I guess, open to very diff- many different ideas at the end. So I'm glad that you spent an hour recording this with me and we hope to see, obviously, we all want everyone, including ISRO and the industry and India and Indians in general succeed. Let's hope that things in the future are going to be bright for everyone. And again, thank you so much for spending the time with me in recording this episode. Thank you so much. It has always been a pleasure. And I have been wanting to share these kind of things with you because I see you articulating it very well in multiple media. And it would be nice to calibrate our thoughts along with you. I enjoyed it. And thank you so much for making me a part of this 99th podcast. Thank you for listening in to this episode of the New Space India podcast. If you enjoyed this conversation, please share this episode with anyone you believe will enjoy listening to it. You'll be able to find the New Space India podcast in any of the podcasting platforms that you may be using, including Apple, Google, Spotify, YouTube, and others. Do subscribe to the podcast in case you want to receive new episodes automatically. I'm grateful if you're able to leave a rating for the podcast which will help others discover it. Thank you for listening in again and the next episode will be out in the next two weeks as usual.